This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams, Steelers Nation South, Rollo Coffin, and Ball State athlete, Paul Havocott. Our special guest tonight, this is this one is an honor for us because he's taking time out during the season here, but we're joined by a 12-year MLB first baseman. 11 of those seasons with the Pirates, who we're going to be discussing tonight. Um, top 10 in doubles two times, sack flies three times, hit by pitches four times. And, and I'm going to save the rest of the stats because he's going to be represented in this debate a little bit later on. Um, but he's a good fielder as well, led in fielding percentage at first base in 93. His range factor is 15th all-time at first base in Major League Baseball. He might not have known that stat, but it, it it's out there. So we... We got we got KY Kevin Young here. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks guys for having me. It's always an honor. Awesome. Tonight's debate is going to be the greatest Pirates first baseman of the last forty years. As I said, KY is is on our list here for the debate, so he could win it. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, I want to throw out our two honorable mentions who just missed the list. That's Craig Wilson and Jason Thompson. People forget how good Thompson was. I think because he came right after Willie Stargell, so kind of filters him out of our timeline there. But um, since Kevin Young has retired, the Pirates are at 60-plus first baseman and counting. So there has not been a lot of stability there through the years. But we are going to start today with Josh Bell. Yeah, Josh Bell, uh, he was uh, selected by the Pirates second round of the 2011 draft. And they, uh, he had received a $5 million signing bonus, uh, which was a record for a player drafted outside of the first round, which I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, he worked his way through the Pirates farm system. Uh, he was selected to the 2015 All-Star Futures game, and he played through the minors from 2011 to 2016, uh, where he made his MLB debut in 2016 with the Pirates um, and played uh, through uh, 2020 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. On July 8, 2016, he was a pinch hitter for his debut, the very next night, at his second at bat, the guy hits a grand slam. Um, in 2017, he had a knee surgery uh, before his rookie season, uh, but he didn't miss any games. Uh, he set the NL record for most home runs by a rookie switch hitter uh, when he had hit his 24th home run against Jake Arrieta um, on September 14th, uh, 2017. Uh, he was a finalist for Rookie of the Year that year. Um, he Finished his rookie season batting 255 with 26 homers and 90 RBIs. Not too bad. In 2019, he became the fourth player in PNC Park history to hit a ball directly into the Allegheny. He had some power. And then, well, first, that shot was 472 feet, about 115 miles per hour. And then two weeks later, he became the first player to hit two balls directly into the Allegheny River. This dude had some hitting. He had some power for sure. Uh, he was elected to his first All-Star game in 2019. Uh, when he entered that game, he was actually batting 302 with 27 homers and led the MLB with 84 RBIs that year uh, heading into that All-Star game. Uh, he was selected uh, for the home run derby that year as well. Unfortunately, he got he got beat in the first round, but it was cool to see a pirate up in there because it's been a while. Uh, and then he would finish uh, the 2019 season batting 277 with 37 homers and 116 RBIs, which is pretty decent stats. Um, unfortunately, he only had really three seasons. 2016, only played a couple games. Um, and then 2020 was the shortened season because of COVID. Uh, but the man had power. He had some good hitting. Um, I, I missed him when we traded him. Uh, so that's Josh Bell. So, KY, 
with Josh Bell, let, let me ask you this, not so much with the Pirates. Why hasn't he had the success, in your opinion, since he left Pittsburgh that he had in Pittsburgh? Yeah, no, I don't ask, and it's really hard to tell. Sometimes guys, like I said, it takes a while. I know Josh always had the hit trait in him. Uh, for sure. And, and you know, comfort levels, stability, things happen, you know, through the course of your as you mature as a major leaguer, you know, whether you start your family, which he's, you know, fortunately been able to do now being married, you know, with children. And, you know, that also changes some dynamic with comfortability, you know, all those things factor in the players, you know, and so, you know, and also, you know, the ballparks that they play in too, that may have some things to do with it as well. So it's a lot of key contributing factors. I couldn't put my hand on one of them, but I will tell you this. I mean, if we ever get an opportunity to have Josh Bill back in Pittsburgh, I would put my money on that. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to see him back in, in the black and gold for sure. That'd be fantastic. I think we'd all love that. Uh, quite a power hitter. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on his power? Yeah, extreme power from both sides. Obviously, being a switch hitter, uh, that's a mainstay in the lineup. And uh, I also think like the fitness part of him, always being in shape, really trained really hard. So, uh, you know, the, the big factor was right before all that happened, that's when the DH became across, you know, the board. And so I often wondered if, if we would have really saw that coming as rapid as it was, would that trade have been made? You know, because Josh Bell is the prototypical DH um, that you'd want to have. And it's, and it's from within your system, too. So. You know, the right-hand uh, power and the left-hand power are, are pretty much matched. Obviously, it played better left-handed power being in, um, you know, at PNC Park. So that was probably the big thing that, you know, you see those home runs towering over the bleachers. But but all in all, power numbers, I mean, from both sides of the plate and a guy that you can play 160 games, 162 games a season because that's what he wanted. Um, you don't see guys like that very often. Let's move on to our oldest player tonight. He's been a guest on the show, and he has broken all our hearts. Sid Bream. <laughs> yeah, a true part fan takes Sid Bream, and that's who I took. Out of Carlisle, PA, at 6'4", 220. The perfect 80s name to throw around, and he's – honestly, he's not as athletic as the names on this list. He doesn't have the power of Josh. Uh, but my argument here, and it's a long shot, is that he meant a ton to the fans of Pittsburgh. And in 85, they started using him as a starting first baseman, and his home run total was three, just like it was with the Dodgers in the prior year. So, like I said, nowhere near the power of Josh, but he was a steady player. He was a great average player, and he gave the Pirates a good four or five years of just really good defensive quality play. He batted in that 85 year, 284 with 15 RBIs in 26 games. In the 26 games, uh, and the Pirates got the best of him, I think. You know, in his whole career, he had a batting average of 264, and with the Pirates specifically, he batted 264. He had 544 hits, 278 RBIs with the Pirates, and this includes an 89 season where he had three surgeries on that uh, knee there, and he only had eight hits on 36 at bats, and he tore the cartilage um, running back the first that season. And he had 57 home runs with the Pirates. He's an average player really on any team, but to the Pirate fans, he was really part of that team that we thought was going to have some magic. And he was Pittsburgh through and through. He named one of his sons Austin Leland after Jim uh, Leland. Um, over half his RBIs and, and home runs, I think, were with the Pirates. 
And in 1990, uh, Sid played his last season with the Pirates. Solid everyday player. Uh, but what I remember, you know, he doesn't look as good as Kevin does in a suit. And he's not as athletic as the other names. But I'll always remember how we've never really recovered since him. And I'll remember that game seven when uh, Peg Leg, you know, he's running around third base on that one leg there. And Barry Bonds could not throw him out. And he slides uh, across home plate there for creating this dark, dark, dark cloud of the Pirates for the next, I don't know, 20, 40 years here. So I think he almost got a golden glove, but they gave it to Glenn Davis uh, the year he was up for it. But great defensive player. Good all-round player. That's Sid Breen. Let's see what you guys say about him. Okay, why uh, with Sid when he was on the show, he was kind of upset that he didn't get that Gold Glove the year Glenn Davis got it. I'm pretty sure he led in assists and putouts that year. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? We know he wasn't the greatest hitter or didn't have a lot of speed, but his fielding—he might be the best fielder we're talking about tonight. Yeah, and again, you're talking about a left-handed first baseman, which always is, you know, favorable in that situation. He was really good with his glove in the area that he had control of defensively. Um, obviously, you know, having guys that, in the infield that rely heavily on, you know, a good glove over first base. So you just – you don't worry and concern yourself. I always say good first baseman defensively makes the rest of the infield better. And so uh, that, that was what Sid really did. And that, and that, uh, you know, on the team that he was on that during that time, and I think, you know, being in a pirate uniform, it it solidifies that part, that side of the of the field. You know, you're talking about guys like him and Chico Ling playing on one side or the right, you know, right side of the field. So you have Gold Glove caliber defense across the board, regardless, um, and if they're winning the Gold Glove or not. And it had a lot to do with you know the success of that pitching staff as well. So um, you had guys that were really. Uh, effective, but that defense really, we had a lot of ground ball pitchers in that, the early 90s teams like that. And so, you know, Sid solidified that and put an anchor on that side of the infield for those for those guys for sure. And not to mention the leadership that he also brought uh, to the clubhouse as well. So uh, you didn't need a ton load of that because you had Jim Leland and he's such a strong personality, but, but he also, uh, Jim utilized guys like, you know, Sid Bream to make sure he delivered messages throughout as well. So Again, just a staple and a different type of, you know, contributor, if you will. You don't see, like you said, the big power numbers and, you know, you know, a lot of flash that goes with it. But it does sell really good to be an anchor for that, that side of the infield defensively. Well, let's move on to our next player. That's going to be Garrett Jones. All right, Garrett Jones. Uh, G.I. Jones spent, uh, spent several years in both the Atlanta Braves and Minnesota Twins farm systems. Uh, until he finally got that real shot at the big leagues at age 28 when he signed with the Pirates for the uh, 2009 season. And one might say that he made up for the slow start to his career with a couple of really fast starts. Uh, he got off to a superb start with the Buccos in, in uh, July of 2009 when he finally broke into the starting lineup. Jones hit seven homers in his first 12 games and 12 homers total for the month. Uh, his uh, July 17th performance was especially impressive. Uh, Jones went deep in the first inning against the great Tim Lincecum of the Giants, and then in the 14th inning, he scored the only other Pirates run of the game after his walk-off home run blast. Another great start for him was during the 2010 opening day contest against the L.A. Dodgers. Uh, he belted a home run in each of his first two at-bats. Uh, the first one ended up in the Allegheny River, 
Uh, this performance actually prompted uh, MVP chants from the Pittsburgh hometown crowd. They were so excited. Uh, during Garrett's uh, five seasons with the Pirates, he averaged 71 runs, 28 doubles, 20 homers, 65 RBIs, and a 253 batting average per year. So not, not too bad there. Uh, twice he led the team in homers. And in 2013, he helped the Bucs to, to their first playoff series in two decades. Unfortunately for both the Pirates and Jones, he did not re-sign with the team in, in uh, 2014. He went on to make a deal with the Marlins. Uh, the team struggled really to replace him, you know, platooning Ike Davis and Gabby Sanchez at the position. And uh, Jones only played uh, uh, another 200 MLB games. Uh, he followed up a decent season in Miami and then a disappointing one in New York. But uh, hardcore Bucko fans will remember G.I. Jones for, you know, his, his uh, fast starts and his uh, likable demeanor. So, Kevin, G.I. Jones here, he did not become a major leaguer other than a little brief stint in 2007. But at 28 years old in 2009 in Pittsburgh, I, I'm not sure how much you know about him, but any idea what took so long? Was that when he just finally put it together or just the first time he got a shot? Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of times it is the ability. You start learning a lot about yourself. We talked about it before. As you as you get older, you start going through the process. And I know a lot of guys are going, they start figuring it out, you know, at this game a little bit later. That's usually about 26, 27 at the major levels when you really step into your prime. But when you just getting an opportunity at 28, you got to remember at 28, life has changed a lot, you know, from the time you got into pro baseball. So you've been able to experience things a, a lot differently, uh, being able to appreciate who you are as a player. Uh, like I said, the life changes that come along with that as well. And so the ability to be able to go through that process as a professional, now all of a sudden it's more than a game. You know, it is literally, it's, a, it's the way of living. And you take it a little more serious and you have a little more sniper focus, if you will, on on uh, on your trade. And, and so that's that's usually what takes place. And you realize you're playing on the biggest stage. Uh, so I think that has a big part of that, you know, to do with his success as it came uh, later on in life and the opportunity presented itself and he just embraced it. And, and you know, being in Pittsburgh, like you said at the time, the timing of it all where, you know, you've been handed an opportunity to to do something well. Um, and so being able to, to, to not take those those opportunities that like many of us have, you know, when we're younger, you take them for granted. And so I think he just jumped on that and was able to to parlay that into a successful career. Let's move on to our final player, it's Kevin Young. <laughs> Why? We don't yes. know who that is. We don't know who that is, by the way. Originally, <laughs> uh, originally drafted in the seventh round of the ninety uh, MLB draft, uh, he was the uh, minor league player of the year in '91. Uh, he was the. Uh, American Baseball Association's top prospect in 92, and he made his debut in 92, uh, signaling off uh, Tim Belcher in his second at bat. Uh, he played four, four seasons with the Pirates, then went off to KC, which I think the barbecue out there helped transform his game because when he came back to the Pirates in 97, <laughs> he was a tear. He had from 97 <laughs> to 2002, he averaged 20 homers and 82 RBIs. In 97, he won the Roberto Clemente Award for uh, his services in the community as well as on-field attributes. But the great thing about KY was his versatility. He played 97 games at third base, where he has the all-time record for assists, <clears throat> tied with uh, uh, Sabo. And with 11, he played 18 games in right field and 13 games in left field. 
1999, he was just the third baseman in MLB history with 25 home runs, 40 doubles, more than 20 stolen bases, and 100 RBIs in a season. Jason Bay replicated that feat in 2005. One, one little known fact that he's fourth all time in home runs at Three River Stadium behind guys like Willie Stargell, Dave Parker, Barry Bonds. Give that man his give that man his flowers. <laughs> Greatest third baseman for, in Powers history. Nice job, Rollo. Uh, so KY, I I'm only getting one question for you tonight. The rest of the guys are gonna get two here, but so I'm gonna ask you that now. You got to play in the final game at, at uh, Three River Stadium, and the first game out there at PNC Park. You were there for that too. So I mean, what did those experiences mean to you to get to be part of that? Um, the final game, um, it was it was amazing. It really was because you realize the history that was there, um, you know, at Three River Stadium. Not you know, not only from you know just the experiences, the quality of teams, the people that played there, the names like Roberto Clemente, uh, Willie Stargell, obviously, and so many Barry Bonds and so on and so forth. But uh, you know, like I said, the history and all the things that you know, you really start feeling that you're a big part of something that's bigger than yourself. Um, and so it was just an honor to be able to to play. And I remember a tear kind of fell when uh, when I watched them implode the you know the stadium, the Three River Stadium, because but it, it's it gives it goes back to the fan base in Pittsburgh, um, whether it be you know football or baseball. But I mean to share a home there that was literally home, and it really did you know help me grow up as a young individual. I mean you got to remember I got to the big leagues you know when I was 22 years old. So being able to to play on that field um, and experience that, you know, Pittsburgh grew me up. That that is that was what grew me up. I grew up in Pittsburgh as an adult um, through my professional baseball career. So it was such an honor uh, to be able to play there. And and then, like I said, I I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. And it's and like I said, it's just um, I'm kind of speechless with it. I actually want to find the big picture of Three River Stadium so I can put it in my house just so I can always remember it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, let's move into our vote. Guys cannot pick your own. Paul, you're in my upper corner. Who are you taking? I don't know. I, uh, obviously, I love Bream, and, uh, you know, he's a childhood favorite. I can't pick him, though. And I love Kevin. But Kevin played all these other different positions, and your debate's about first base. So I'll still pick Kevin because he's got the numbers and he's got the stats. and But he might be too athletic for this this uh, competition, so, but I'll stay with Kevin. He looks, he looks good there. He's, he's good uh, number one. Rollo? Uh, this is tough. Uh, I kind of got to go with Sabrina. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Man, Josh Bell's got the best power out of all of them, but uh, Not Sid, better Kevin. I, I, I was debating between KY and Sid Bream. Sid Bream had some good defense, but I think KY provided us a lot of stability where we needed it. So I'm going to go okay. with KY. Brian? I, I, I'm i looking at, like, the total package here. I mean, some of these guys were good at defense and not great hitters. Some of these guys were great hitters, not that great at defense. But when I look at KY, I got the whole package here. So I'm going to go with uh, KY. All right. And, and Brian, honestly, you, you nailed – you nailed the hammer on the head there for me, too, because if I was going defense, I'd go Bream. If I was going hitting, I'd probably go Bell. But when I'm looking at the full package, it's definitely KY. But and Bream's Kevin's, batting average is higher. I mean, he's 264 batting I like, I, I like the power numbers. So, I KY, uh, you taking yourself or, or are you going to pick somebody else? 
Man, it, it, it's a tough call. I mean, I go back and forth between Josh Bell and myself. And only only reason I say that is because uh, I, I give you the example. When I got to Pittsburgh, the biggest examples I have was Bobby Bonilla and Barry Bonds, uh, and it was run production. And so, and I realized that those guys drove in 100 RBIs and they scored 100 runs. And so that's what, in my mind, as a, as a buck, that's what I thought it was. That's what my goal was as a player, to, to always set out to score 100 and drive in 100. So once we got there, that's exactly what I was able to accomplish. So run production was always the, the focus. So that's why Josh Bell, he was the only other first baseman that's driven in 100 RBIs, um, you know, in a, in a while, you know, in a Pittsburgh Pirates uniform. And so that's why it'd be a tough switch for me. But um you gotta gotta you gotta go for yourself just for the defensive side of it. <laughs> I was it. still I'm still I still talk to Mark Grace. I'm still upset with him because he won the gold glove that year. Uh and and I had a nine ninety-eight fielding percentage. <laughs> <laughs> so a win a win for Kevin Young there. Let's move into our QA. Rollo, you got the win, you get first question, and then we'll go Adams, mm -hmm. Paul, Brian. Uh Kevin, you played as fans, we're all, I think we're all pretty much Pirates fans on this 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 call. Um, we've watched a lot of futility in our time, but you played in a lot of that futility. What was it like going to work every day, knowing that you guys were were not very good? And you know, what was the locker room like? <clears throat> you know, the locker room, like you remember, our locker room consisted of some some ballers that that you know, like Jason Kendall. I mean, you have a, a catcher that literally wants to play every single game of the season. You know, Brian Giles, the same way. That's how we thought. So, you know, we had, you know, seasons where, you know, we played, you know, I played 158, 159 games. I mean, you just don't see that anymore. But that was the core group of our guys. That's what we did. That's what we believed in. And so the locker room was always upbeat, even though we felt like we, you know, we are underdog feeling like almost every game. But you were going out to compete every single day. And and so, you know, the yes, you talk about family. That's what family feels like. Because uh, you spend more time with those those teammates in the clubhouse, a major league clubhouse, more than you do your actual family. So, um, and that's kind of the way it, it shapes out for us. So, uh, the clubhouse was always a fun spot. And, um, you know, obviously, if we moved into PNC Park, it, it obviously was a beautiful ballpark at the time, too. So, um, we made fun with that for sure and competed every day. Awesome. KY, well, I want to take you to, uh, I want to take you back to the freak show. 1997 is what the what the pirates are called. Uh, I think the payroll is around what nine million. Um, you, you came over from you came back over from Kansas City, uh, but before that we had Merce, we had Dump Merced, Jay Bell, Jeff King. What what were your thoughts coming back to Pittsburgh in '97 for the freak show? And then how was that like the last week of the season? We were still competing for the division title. What was going on in that locker room, and where were you guys at? Man, it was it was something to be said for that season. I think of that nine million dollar payroll that we had, I think Al Martin made three million of it. So, <laughs> so that I didn't tell you how much was left over for the rest of us. But that uh, you know, it was a a bunch of young guys that were just hungry, and it and it fit the city of Pittsburgh. You had a you know blue collar type mentality, players that came out every single day and just grinded. We didn't care about who we were playing. Um, we just cared about playing hard and playing for each other. And, you know, like I said, and that's virtually what happened. Everybody picked up one another because we were there just trying to, one, make a name, you know, for ourselves, but more importantly, play as a team. And uh, and it really showed well. And obviously, I can promise you, baseball probably didn't want us winning, <laughs> for sure. When you have a $9 million payroll, 
and uh, and you're fighting for winning the division the last week of the season. Um, you know, it's a tough gig, but it was uh, it was quite the experience. And a lot of those guys we still do stay in touch with um, because it was a, a special team in its own right. I mean, it's just very unique. You just don't see that very much anymore. But it was definitely a freak show. <laughs> okay, kind of smoothly transitioning from Kevin Rallo's question. Since Sid Bream went to Braves and put across, across home plate, the Pirates since that time, I think, have made two postseasons, if I'm not mistaken, with one green playoff. Three, was it? I know one year they had to face Madison Baumgartner. One year was Arietta. I know one game play in. Cueto. So I guess, what? They played Cueto. Yeah, but we beat Cueto. Yeah, we beat Cueto. Yeah. So this, I think you're the perfect person for this because you're in broadcasting now. For those of us who have been around a while, Pirates started out hot this year, cooling off. They're still only a half game back, though, I think, as today's standings. Why why should people still be excited about the Pirates? It seems like it's we have trouble. We can get our McCutcheon jerseys out again and stuff like that, but it seems like we have trouble tying ourselves to players because they don't stay long. But you seeing changes come across the organization? Well, I think yeah, – yeah, I think – yeah, I think the transition into, you know, again, acquisition is a big part of it, right? I mean, obviously, we're not going to ever go out and sign some of the top free agents that are out there. Uh, that's just never been the way we operate it. So you have to grow your system from within and then acquire key contributors that, that maybe that you can find a diamond in the rough here and there. So this year is a perfect example. It uh, looks similar to the model we used in the past and during 2014, you know, 15, 16, where you're able to acquire guys that actually have, have some veteran presence. They have done some things on the pitching side. Uh, Rich Hill is a perfect example of that. Uh, obviously, bringing back uh, Kutch was a big part of that. And then, you know, having even, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Santana and, and Connor Joe, who's, who's trying to find a way into being, you know, a little mainstay that has some experience of success at the major league level. And then let's face it. I mean, you have a ton load of guys that are young and talented, you know, um, but the pitching is going to be the number one thing. I mean, I start in pitching when you have, you know, a guy like Mitch Keller that legitimately turns into an ace, not somebody that you make an ace because you say, you know, we just think he can be one, but he's definitely shown that, you know, he's turned a corner and how he goes about doing things. Um, and it's very uncomfortable at bats for opposing hitters. And so, uh, and you, you on the back end, you have a guy like David Bettnar that closes games out. So you can kind of see between the young talent, the starting pitching, and then the ability to go to the bullpen to close games out. You may have some middle relief that you're trying to figure out, but you know you have a guy like Colin Holderman who you acquired too. Um, so these acquisitions now are playing, you know, big parts in this early success on the pitching side. Now it's just a matter of those young guys offensively. Can they start finding their way now that they've gotten? you know, 200 at-bats in. And so that gives you some hope uh, to your last point about, you know, being able to to hold on to some of these guys. I mean, we, you know, that's the tough part, sustainability in Pittsburgh. I mean, it's always going to be a tough part. But when you lock up Brian Hayes and you hope that that turns into something, you lock up Brian Reynolds and hopefully before too long you'll hear that, you know, you've locked up Mitch Keller. You know, that, I think that would really be very helpful to a lot of other potential free agents that are out there as well because um, they see guys like O'Neill Cruz, who's a, you know, super talented individual that will come back. I mean, this team's doing a lot of this without arguably their best run producer. 
And so something to be said about that as well. Yeah, so, extend Kutch too. That'd be great. Give him another year or two on that deal. So <laughs> I'll I'll take Brian's question. So um, you were still there in 01, right? I thought, yes. So you played for Lloyd McClendon. I just want I just want to know you were there for the the base stealing incident. Like, what are you guys thinking on the bench when Lloyd McClendon goes out there and he takes the base back with him? That was one of the funniest moments in in baseball history to me. It, it was it was pretty funny. I mean, I mean, for us as players, we're like, come on. I mean, seriously. I mean, like, cause you know, cause first of all, it's not like you took the base and ran back to the dugout and threw it down the stairs. You took the base and walked back. So for us, it's like a lifetime. We're, we're watching the game. And it's like, okay, he's, he's snapping. Oh, he, oh, he took the base. Uh-oh, here we go. And so it was pretty funny for us. A lot of times it's like as players, we, uh, you know, we find humor in things. But it was definitely, as you look back at the video, I mean, it, it's intense at, a, at the time. But, man, you look at it and you can't stop laughing. Um because, you know, I, I, see, I saw uh, Mac last year. I think he was managing maybe in Toledo or somewhere. And so until this day, I mean, he'll never he'll never be forgotten for that for sure. Uh, but it's definitely some at the time. We, I wasn't laughing at the time because I knew he was really mad. But I've laughed ever since. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. So, uh, KY, I went, I went back and, and took a look at the impressive – list of pitchers that you hit homers off of over the years. Uh, Tom Glavin, Lee Smith, Frank Viola, Dwight Gooden, Kerry Wood, Randy Johnson, uh, just to name a few. As you look back on your playing career, uh, is there a moment or a play or a, a single game performance that you would say that you are the most proud of? Yeah, I think it would be uh, – I think it would be that 97 season. Uh, I think that was the year that um, I tore the, my thumb ligament um, towards in, in August against Colorado and Pittsburgh. And um, they said I was going to be out for the rest of the year. And that was when we were in the pennant race at the time. Um, and I remember they said I'd be out at least eight to 12 weeks. And I ended up uh, coming back like in the sixth week. Uh, they didn't, I actually just came in the game on a double switch because we had a lead in the eighth inning, um, went into the ninth and, ended up giving up the lead in the top of the ninth against the Expos. And um, and so Gene Lamont was a manager at the time. And so I, I come back in and I'm supposed to lead off the inning because we had a double switch. And so nobody's even known. I've, I've just been going back in three rivers in the cage during the game. I've been swinging the bat. I just never told anybody. And so they asked mm -hmm. the trainer, like, well, you, is he able to hit or what? Do we have to pinch hit for him? And and I was like, no, I can hit, I can hit. And I convinced Dean Lamont to let me hit. And um, uh, I think Telford was on the mound for the Montreal Expos at the time. And he threw a slider up up out over the plate. And I was able to hit it um, right down the right field line, which I've to this day I've never hit a ball down the right field line uh, for a home run <laughs> as a right-hand hitter. But that was the one that I'll never forget. Um because and I think it was because it was so unexpected and nobody knew that it that it, I would even have an opportunity to be in that game. Um, and it, it, again, we were right in the middle of a pennant race, so it was a big win for us at the time. Right, one more, guys. Rollo, go ahead. Hey, why you hit your first major league off of uh, Rod Beck? Do you tell me a little bit about when you hit it? How what did it feel like? And when you're going back to the bull, uh, the uh, dugout. 
what was the feeling like when you when you got back to the dugout? Yeah, one of the most amazing feelings ever. I mean, you play your whole career, you know, um, but you'll never forget your first hit or your first home run. And it, and especially one like that, uh, I believe it might have been a three-run homer in the bottom of the eighth inning. So it was one of those that we ended up winning the game because of it. Um, and so I, I was just, you know, and, and God bless him. I mean, he's moved on since Rob Beck's passed, but um, – I was able to, to meet his wife because she's a real estate agent in Arizona, just to make a long story short, but just how that circle comes back, you know, and just, uh, it was just an honor to even, you know, to just be able to experience that. But I can say, you don't forget those moments. Um, my mom, you know, and dad were in the stands for that. Um, you know, but you never know when you're going to hit your first homer, right? <laughs> yeah, man, nobody's expecting a homer, but, uh, so it was, it was, some, it was an honorable experience to, in, in to watch the ball go over, uh, you know, left center field, you know, in Pittsburgh at Three River Stadium that night was uh, it was, uh, it was a pretty explosive feeling. I'll never forget. All right, KY, I want to take you to your rookie season coming over to Pittsburgh. I mean, pretty much the roster was the guys that we grew up watching with Vaughn, Slyke, uh, Merced, King, Bell, Tim Wakefield. You guys had a pretty decent roster. He went uh, four for seven, batting five seventy five that that rookie season of, of yours. Uh, but what was it like coming over to the Pirates um, when you know we were a decent team at that point? Uh, what was it like coming in and playing with those guys and learning from them? It was amazing. I mean, again, you know, just watching you know Barry prepare, go out and compete, and Jay Bell at shortstop. Um, you know, Jeff King. You know, all the guys that we had: Orlando Merced, uh, Andy Vance, like in center field, was just. I mean, you come through. I wasn't in my very long, but those are the guys, like I said, when you get there, you're like, man, those guys look like, you know, you know, rock stars for real. I mean, and so um, just being able to, to share the field with those guys and then at the time, be at Wrigley, where all that happened, you know, um, you know, just to, to play at Wrigley and all the history that's there at Wrigley Field, playing in the major league level with, you know, some of the guys that have just been, you know, superstars in the game. Um, it was very honorable. And then actually to be able to contribute <laughs> and actually perform well, you know, it was like, oh, man, this, this game is something else. It's not as easy as, as I thought it would be because <laughs> the Lord knows it beat me up after that. But, but man, it felt really good to, to hear Harry Carey. And I'll never forget this. Um, we, we beat up on the Cubs that day because a lot of the starters were resting before they got ready for the playoffs. And Harry Carey goes, even the rinky dinks are beating us. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Please, uh, please get us Van Slate. That's my question. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but th thinking about what Rollo and Kevin are bringing up in terms of your career, I was watching another play with you where I, I think you're playing third and the ball gets hit to you. And I think it touches every square inch of your back and without any uh, – I mean, very nonchalant of what you expected it to be there. You end up pulling up and back and throwing the first. So I guess my question for you is, you have a lot of great moments. When you look back on your career, what are you most proud of? Um, I think it's where I listen to other teammates talk about, um, you know, my presence, you know, in the clubhouse and just being a teammate. Um, you know, I think Jack Wilson, you know, would be one of those guys. Jason Kendall would be one. Um, you know, Al Martin, you know, um, a lot of those guys, when you, when we talk about to hear them talk about the experience, cause you can, a lot of times you forget about that stuff, but I mean, they don't, you know, 
people remember the quality person that you are. So when I listen to those guys, you know, talk about the impact that I had on them, um, you know, Jack Wilson in particular, I mean, a young guy coming in and, and just kind of helping mentor him, um, teach him how to be a big leaguer. Aramis Ramirez, Ramirez was another one. Um, those are the guys that you really, you know, tend to appreciate because they had long careers as well. So it goes back to the gift that keeps on giving. And that's what Willie Stargell really, um, really taught me more than anything uh, as I was coming through, you know, the system and spending time with him um, when he came back into our system. It's, it's just how do you impact this ball club? And so to me, I think that just being honorable enough to say, um, you know, this game's bigger than, than a lot of us, all of us, uh, but give back to it. And so it was a big, big indication for who you want to be as a player. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that'd be a great get, Paul. And, and another number 18, Jason Kendall. I mean, uh, Pirates have been blessed with that number. Finish us up, Brian. So, okay, well, we, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, but for your first three seasons in the big leagues, Lloyd McClendon was a teammate of yours on the Pirates. Uh, for your final three seasons of your career, he was your manager. And then much of the time in between, he was your hitting coach. So could you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, like what he was like as a teammate, a coach, and a manager? Yeah, as a teammate, he was a veteran, obviously, that, that came off the bench, did a great job, you know, as a platoon situation and a pinch hitter. And so um, so as a teammate, it was one of those guys that helped mentor the young team that we had, like guys like Carlos Garcia, Al Martin, myself. Um, we had some young guys that were in the clubhouse. And so he served as a, a mentor, a similar to what we talked about, like with Sid Green, guys like Dave Clark, Lloyd McClendon. Um, you know, those guys really helped mentor us, you know, into be, becoming professionals at the big league level. And then as a hitting coach, obviously, you never forget your hitting coach when you have a lot of success. And I was fortunate yeah. enough to have a lot of success, you know, while while uh, Mac was the hitting coach there. Um, and then later on, at the end of my career, uh, when he became the manager, obviously, things were a little different. He was carried a different type of stress on him. Um, you know, a lot of times it's just being in Pittsburgh and, and being the first you know, African-American uh, manager at the time. It just, it, I don't think people realize at the time, he, he carried some uh, additional stress on it. And sometimes I feel like that showed up in how he handled, you know, uh, how he handled the club and stuff, stuff like that. So I got to see a lot of different sides of Mac. You know, one is a teammate and more of a, a uncle or father figure, if you will, as a player, as a Excellent. young player. And then as a hitting coach, it was more of a companion and a partner and like a brother. And then as a manager, you know, more of uh, the authoritarian type figure that, you know, a lot of times it, it just handled a lot of stress. And so um, but to this day, though, I appreciate all three facets of that because it helped me grow as well. Awesome. Well, we, we want to thank you, Ke KY, Kevin Young, for coming on. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, you guys are awesome, man. I enjoy it. And like I said, anything in the future you guys need, let me know. Uh, it was an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and if you want to see more of Kevin, just just watch the Pirates games. You'll you'll, you'll hear him on, on those games. So, and uh, I'll remind everybody hit that like and subscribe button. And thank you for watching. We'll see you all next time. Have a great night.